Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There are few modern musicals that I appreciate more than The Band's Visit. I think it is gorgeous. And it also reveals a huge blind spot for me as a human being. (laughs) So I'm going to need you a lot for this episode because I read and reread the synopsis over again to try and remember everyone's name and (laughs) maybe try and figure out, like literally to prepare for this episode, I was Googling things like, do Israel and Egypt like each other? Like, you know, like there's, there are so many things that I just don't know And this musical reveals it, and it does so in such a beautiful way that I couldn't be more grateful for it. I agree. And just to just to piggyback on the names thing, they don't help you out either, because there are a great many characters in this show where they have names, their names in the script, there's names in the program, and the names are never revealed through the show. They never say Simone's name. They never say Anna's name. They never say... uh, (laughs) <laughs> what's his face uh and, and now i've forgotten the father um oh the like the father-in-law yes who i who i understudy and now i can't even think of his name oh my <laughs> lord i'm so i'm so out of it right now but they never say his name wait you understudy the father-in-law uh his name is avram let me just get that out there avram. before i forget avram there, there you he go. Is. Never, they never say his name so they don't help you with that but when i got the offer it was so nice i you know i I got my offer i'm reading my contract and in it it says understudy avram and i went of that well that can't be right that's that's very that's very nice but that can't be right so i wrote back to my agent i said hey uh i think they made a mistake and he wrote back and said no that's that's what they want and i did it i got to i got to rehearse a lead supporting character with, with a great David Cromer and Patrick McCollum with a great song and Andrea Grody and with with David Yazbek watching. So uh, so I, Hot dang. I I haven't gone on. I don't know if I ever will, but I appreciate the fact that I got to uh, to be a part of that process, at least for a little bit. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we're talking about the band's visit. And to discuss it with me is Mr. Mark Ginsberg. Hey, Mark. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm seriously thrilled to be here. And I I will reiterate that you did not invite me. I invited myself. I asked you (laughs) if I could be on this show because for the love of God, I just want to talk musical theater for a little bit. I just, I, I've been missing it. So it breaks my heart that we're like 
15 minutes away from each other, but like this I is know. as close as we can get. But in I'm, our respective closets, exactly. doing this, doing this, <laughs> this conversation. I love that you've created this like lighting situation for yourself where there's a nice soft. What is it called when you have the lights on the sides? What is that like? Uh, lights on the sides. Right. <laughs> this this is why I'm I think not that's a lighting the designer in lighting design. Yeah. Oh yeah, in, in the yes. technical world, that's what we call it. Lights on the side. They they are so beautiful and moody, but make it impossible to dance. Always my favorite is when you've been dancing in the brightest lights, and then instant blackout—not fade to black, but instant blackout—and then they say, "Good, get off stage as quickly as you can." And you just go. There's oh, glow tape. Dear it's Lord, fine. go I, right. <laughs> but I'm sure you'll be fine. It's so true. You have yep. this gorgeous beard right now. Thank you. Thank How you. long have you had it? Whenever it was the last time I shaved for the show. So if we closed on a Thursday, I probably shaved on Tuesday, March 10th, I guess that would be. And I, after that, I just said, you know what? I don't want to shave. I don't feel like it. So I'm just not going to do it. And we'll we'll see how long that goes. We, uh, we're off the road for a little while. So I don't know if, uh, if it'll go this whole time. But right now I'm enjoying it. Spoiler alert. You are in the national tour of the band's visit, the first national tour. And of course, that tour has been cut short we don't mm-hmm. know when you're going to go back out on the road i hope it's soon because the whole country deserves to see this amazing show mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. myself i want to really see it and you guys I were supposed to, to come in it. la right we were supposed to be here i believe in july uh we were going to be here for three weeks i was so looking forward to it to Gosh, having it. so many friends experience it and come see the show and to see them i haven't seen friends in so long and uh right Fingers crossed. I know that we have been told that they are 1 million percent committed to getting this show back on the road whenever it is humanly possible. We have no idea when that will be. We had a couple tentative back to work dates that clearly are not going to work with the way things are going. And uh, we don't have another one as of now, but I know that they're working night and day on it. um, Of course. Especially because the the producers of the show, uh, Networks, are headed by the president, Oren Wolf, who is our lead producer and who brought this show into being. He was the one who literally watched this movie, said, this would make a great musical and I want to produce it. So this is his baby from second one and he is still committed to getting us back out and we could not possibly be more grateful for that. How cool. Yeah. It, it's such an unusual show in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Number one, I think because of its honesty, yeah. it also dares to be really quiet and still. Oh, yeah. And then also incredibly celebratory. It it just hits this like this tone that I've never really experienced before in a show. And the more I experience it, the more I love it. Yeah, I agree. And I'll, I'm sure we'll get to this as we go along, but I will just go out and say off the bat, so much of that has to do with David Cromer, uh, who is our Tony winning director. Uh, you know, he did, um, as you know, Adding Machine and the the acclaimed revival of Our Town that was off Broadway for a mm-hmm. while. I, I mean, this, this guy, I would walk to the ends of the earth to work with David Cromer again, because he's wow. brilliant and he's not afraid of taking chances and challenging performers and challenging the audience. And from the beginning, he said, I'm going to do something that is very, is done very sparingly. Yeah. These days, because, you know, you have a, 
however much it costs, five, ten, fifteen million dollar production with people paying a hundred and fifty bucks a pop to go to the theater, and you don't want them sitting there going, "Why is it so quiet? <laughs> why, why are they not saying anything?" Like, oh but he gosh, dares I can them. Hear myself breathe. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and he dared them to, as he puts it, to lean in and to really mm -hmm. lean forward and just embrace the discomfort and embrace the silence and be in the world with these people instead of going, you know, when's, when's the tap number coming up? What's, For what's sure. going on? And the fact that he was brave enough and the fact that obviously the powers that be gave him the license to, to do that speaks leaps and volumes to the production itself, to the collaborative process and to his, his particular brand of genius. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think that I can often be a little critical of the politics and culture of critique. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How about that? I could be critical sure. of critique. Wow. What a stance, Parsons. That being said, in the case of the band's visit, which, you know, won every Tony Award that it possibly could have. <laughs> Ten, to be precise. Um, which is incredible. I, yeah. I think it's one of the few musicals that have won, quote unquote, the big six, right? Yeah. It won Best Musical. Best Leading Actor, Best Leading Actress, Best Director, Best Score, Best Book. Correct. All six of them, boom, snatched Correct. them up, took them home. And like I said, while I can be critical of the politics behind all of those sorts of things, I think that the band's visit is a great example of how important awards and reviews can be. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not entirely sure that it would have been a smash, that it would have gotten a first national tour with incredible artists like yourself yeah. if it hadn't been so lauded and praised by reviewers and, you know, swept up all of them trophies. I hate to say it that way, but you're completely right because let's be honest, we're taking this, sh this little show everywhere we went, we were being surrounded by Betty Buckley and Hello Dolly and the new cats and the, this and Hamilton sure. fall, you know, we were following Hamilton all over the place and Aladdin and these are huge, big name shows. I'm not saying they're not good productions, but clearly the name. It has this whole brand, right? It's got a it whole has... brand. It's got the whole thing. But the fact that I think there was a little bit of mystery around us, first of all, helped because people mm -hmm. were going, I wonder what this is. This seems interesting. But then looking and saying, oh, well, it won 10 Tony Awards and, you know, it's got great reviews. So it's mysterious and people seem to like it. So I'll give it a shot. And I think uh, that gets them into the theater. And I think they leave like they found a diamond in the rough, as it were. You know, they <laughs> they discovered it in, in right. Greenville, South Carolina. They said, oh, we, we had no idea, but now we know and we can spread the word to people. And oh, I'm glad wonderful. that they do. Like yeah. they take ownership of it. Like this yeah. is our show now too. I do think there's some ownership to that. That's beautiful. I, I think that's wonderful. I think yeah. that's the, the power of art for sure. Yeah. I would say that the same phenomenon happens in movies all the time where I don't think Parasite would have ever come across my personal plate right. if it hadn't been getting awards buzz. So I know that there are politics and things to explore within those different systems. But at the same time, it is incredibly important to getting the the product out. And when you do have a piece like The Band's Visit that I think has benefited from it, it makes me very grateful. Me too. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously, <laughs> right? obviously hey! I'm very grateful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, health insurance. <laughs> right? Oh, God. 
The Band's Visit the Musical is based on the film from 2007, Correct. Uh, which was an Israeli film. And I haven't seen the film. I assume, have you? Oh, yes. I love the film. I, I venture to say, and if anybody's listening, sorry, Yazbek, but there's part of me that loves the film even more than the show. Oh, wow. So beautifully shot and How acted. Cool. The only thing I know about it, and going back to <laughs> awards politics, mm -hmm. it was a very, you know, praised film. And yet when they submitted it to be considered for best foreign film, it was rejected because it has so much English in Too it. Too much English, yep. Which is so interesting because the only reason that these characters are speaking English to each other is because they don't speak each other's language. Right. So they would rather speak English poorly because yeah. at least maybe they have that in common. That's right. Which is so international in and of itself. The idea that that would disqualify it from being a foreign film blows my mind. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. So it wasn't able to be nominated for that award. For anything, really. But yeah. So then cue your producer and remind me of his name again. Orin Wolf. And he's in love with the film and decides to take it on as his project. Correct. And contacts David Yazbek, who is an amazing composer. Is that true? Or am well, I making that up? That is what you would assume would happen, but it actually uh, didn't quite happen that way. One of our company members, who's an actor, singer, <laughs> he's an actor, he's a singer. He plays in the show the oud, the guitar the darbuka, which is a, a kind of drum, and he's the Arab dialect coach. His name is Ronnie Malley. He's a true wow. Renaissance man. He was part of the early process of this uh, way back in the day, and he was telling me a story about how they really went back old school with this and auditioned composers to... Uh, oh, like... It like Hello Dolly. Exactly. It all comes back to Jerry Herman, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's David yeah, Merrick they, making right? all of these composers audition. That's David interesting. Merrick. They had people audition. Um and you know, so there were some really talented composers coming in, but obviously this is a very very specific type of music we're talking about. And he said that uh, there was someone who came in and played beautiful music and played it on a bouzouki, which for those who don't know what is, is that? It's a Greek instrument, oh. which has a very specific sound to it. It's a beautiful sound, but you listen to it, and they said, man, this is this is really nice music, but Greece is not the Middle East, and right. it just it wouldn't it just would not work. It would be like playing Oklahoma with a ukulele. It's just I'm sure mm -hmm. the music would be beautiful, but it just doesn't evoke the right feeling. By the way, I want that cast album. I want I do the... too, right? The Pacific Islander version of Oklahoma. That sounds amazing. It just, just came to me. I'm casting it in my head. We'll get, we'll get back to that <laughs> later. But um, so eventually they landed on David Yazbek, who, you know, everybody knows, or many people know, I shouldn't say everybody, but many people know that he is a big time musical theater composer. And who would have thought his right. father is Lebanese? I believe his mother is is Jewish. So he came in and apparently he started playing this music and just blew everyone away. And it is, wow. a, the score is astonishing. I, I would go on to say that it is unlike any score that has ever been written for musical theater before, for mm -hmm. mainstream musical theater. And, and really, yet feels squarely a part of the art form. Absolutely. And even has hallmarks of himself as Big a... Time. As an artist, you know, you hear it and you're like, oh, that's totally David Yazbek. But then he also has this amazing orchestrator that's creating this sound that you've never experienced in a musical. It's 
this is not to discredit anything else in the show, but every time we talk to people and they say, oh, we love the show. It was so wonderful. And we say, yeah, you know, thank you. We, we really love it. And they say the music was unbelievable. It transfixes people. It's just mm -hmm. so because it's it's so rich and so new and rooted in so much history and so much personal love. And the great part is it's all played live on stage, which is wow. amazing. The the members of the band in the show are actors and none of them are actors. All of those people that are in uniform and in costume on stage have never acted before in their lives before this show. And they do, and they do it wonderfully. And they play every note of that music on stage. And if they don't, they leave stage after a scene, go into the pit, which is off stage right, sit down in the pit and play music for the rest of the show. So they are wow constantly playing music through this entire show. Wow, and that's crazy. it's incredible. The book is written by Itamar. Is that how you say his name? Itamar? Itamar, yeah. Moses, who is, I think most well-known for writing for television. He was uh, a writer on Men of a Certain Age. Mm -hmm. um, Boardwalk Empire was, was oh, the big Oh, Boardwalk one. Empire, of course. That was yeah. the big one. So they're, they're working together. They create the musical that actually premieres off-Broadway. Correct. In 2016, and then is very well-received. It was developed and produced with support from the National Endowment for the Arts. Yes, very important. There are so many discussions that we have nowadays about whether the National Endowment for the Arts is something that should exist, right? If the government should be giving money to the arts, is that important yeah. when there are so many other things to be to be doing? And they say like PBS, right? PBS is, is a huge example that they use about what the NEA uh, supports and promotes, but also... Mm -hmm shows like The Band's Visit were made possible because of the National Endowment for the Arts. So yeah. it's not just Sesame Street, you know? Without art, I mean, what what are we? What are we doing? It brings people to a, a whole new place. It's just, if there's any, if there's ever money and support to be given to the arts that can be allocated to the arts, I sure as hell wish it would and that it continues to do so. And I think Bands Visit talks about that in and of itself. Without even talking about it, it talks about yeah. that. So the production then opens on Broadway at the end of 2017, which is not always a a, a really popular time for something to open. It's not, is it? I <laughs> um, never thought about that, but it's true. Especially if they're trying to get like the Tony Award, mm -hmm. you know, hype. They'll open in the spring right before right. the deadline so that That's they right. get all of the, you know, the momentum there. But it opens in the fall and immediately becomes a success. It runs for, I think, over 500 performances, yeah. which is a couple of years, and then spawns the national tour of which you are a part. I, I'm talking in the present tense that, that, yes. that you still are a part of it. I'm, I'm all about that. I'm happy to still be a part of it. Let's go through the show, shall we? Yes, let's. Okay. The show opens with this band. It's a military band, right? The the minute that you see this band, you recognize that they are kind of like the American equivalent of like the armed forces band yeah. or Yeah, uh, exactly. It's it's a police it's a police orchestra as they call it, the Alexandria Ceremonial Police Orchestra. And so, they're in this like powder blue like double-breasted suit uniforms which have... do not actually exist in Egypt, by the way. That was oh, all do they not? That was all uh 
constructed for, for the movie, yeah. Well, it's a brilliant design. I agree. The conductor, who's also the leader, his name's tu- Tufik? In English, it would be Tufik, as we say it. Uh, in a more Arabic tongue, they would say Tofik. Oh, okay. So, yes, e- either way is right, so... He seems like a very strict individual right at the top. Mm-hmm. And he has this great line where he's like, there will be no mistakes. Yep. <laughs> and yep, yep. Uh, nothing karmic like telling everybody that there will be no mistakes to then incur a mistake. Of course. Of gigantic proportions, which is... If you will, the Alexandria Ceremonial Police Orchestra have been invited to go to um, a very artistic city uh, in Israel called Petah Tikva to play at the inauguration of the new Arab Cultural Center. And they're at the bus station, or the uh, the airport, I should say, and they're supposed to be picked up. Nobody's there to pick them up. So Tufik, the, um, the conductor, says, I'm going to take control of this. Tell someone to go get tickets for a bus. We're going to take the bus over there. The guy who he tells to go get tickets for the bus <laughs> goes over and says, we want tickets to Petah Tikva. And the lady says, Petah Tikva or Beta Tikva? And he See, goes, okay. oh, okay, and kind of thinks. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, he makes the wrong decision, and they end up in this town in the middle of the desert. Okay, so the first, the one that they're supposed to go to, how do you say that one? That is with a, <laughs> with a P, Petah Tikva. Okay, and then what is the other one? And they end up in Beit Hatikva. Like, this is what I love is that I would have done exactly the same thing. Like, it's immediately you're in this culture that you don't understand, but you see the mistake that they made and you're like, I completely identify. (laughs) 100%. So the difference is that there's a B. You're pronouncing a B instead of a P. Correct. That's that's the big difference. Yes, that's 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 the the bottom line. The big difference. And, you know, the the accents are in a different place. There's Petach, Tikva, and Beit. Hatikva. Oh my gosh. What we're doing right now is literally a scene in the show, just going back and forth like this on stage, which should never be part of a musical, but it is and it works and it's amazing. So so we got in the band, though, we got Tofik, we got Khaled. Khaled, very important guy. Originally played by Ariel Satchel. Is Tony, that how you say his Tony name? Tony Award winning Ariel Satchel, yeah. Just the handsomest guy you could ever see. He certainly Goodness. is. And I've I've met him all of one time, and he's he's just as good looking in person. That is that is true. Well, there you go. Yeah. Way to go, Ariel. <laughs> By the way, uh, the original Tofik was Tony Shalhoub. Maybe most well known as Monk. I would think so. Uh, but man, let me tell and you, yet... you go you go back if you take a little dive into IMDb and IBDB world. The man's breadth of work is wickedly astonishing it's it's He's been really working impressive non-stop forever he did you know he did that uh tv show the sitcom in the early 90s wings he was in that yeah that's right yeah. he was in wings yes he was he was in wings he was in galaxy quest um he was the he was voice in men in black wasn't he in men in he black? was in men in black he was uh, uh jeebs the guy whose head gets shot off and then it grows another one he grows he was, back. that was that was tony shalhoub he was in um I'm Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I mean, let's. Oh right, we, we of can't course. forget He's about the dad that. And Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yep. I, I mean, he, this guy just does everything. Now that I think about it, in Wings, did we ever know what race he was? Like, he had this really strange, geographically untraceable accent, and I yeah. feel like that was kind of the joke. But is that just me, or or, or no. was he actually a specific ethnicity? I feel, if I remember correctly, it's been a while, but I feel like that was 
part of the joke akin to maybe like a Latka, um, you know, Andy Kaufman from Taxi kind of thing. Right. Where, right. Where he says, you know, the country that he's from, and but it's not a real country. Yeah, and that's we, not a real country. We're, not, we're really yeah. not entirely sure what his deal is. like, I, is Julie Andrews the queen of your country? Right. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. And, and by the way, a million things in theater, too. He oh, did, of course. Oh, conversations with my father, Golden Boy, uh, oh, the revival of Lend Me a Tenor. I mean, the man just works nonstop and is a huge supporter of the arts and theater itself. So we, we like Tony. Tony's thumbs up. Yeah, he's a good egg. Yeah. There are a lot of men in this show. Obviously, we've talked about a few of them in the in the band's visit. And one of the biggest compliments that I feel like I can give David Yazbek is that he writes roles for straight men and like they don't make me angry. I know that sounds weird, but no. um, but like there are so many straight men in musicals, <laughs> and and they honestly don't have a lot of dimension to them. They they serve the purpose of being maybe romantic. Yeah. But all of his musicals have such dynamic men. Yes. And I really appreciate that they're sensitive. They have inner worlds, and their ability or inability to communicate them is done in a very thoughtful way. I agree. Uh, and. So many of them, you know, have uh, stereotypical male tendencies to them. You know, the Freddie Bensons and all, sure. all the guys from Full Monty and what have you. But right. it's handled in such a smart way. And uh, I, that's big time kudos to him. Absolutely. I mean, he has an entire song in the, the Full Monty about being a man yeah. that doesn't make me want to throw up. Yeah. Love that! I love that song. <laughs> it's a great song, and yeah. with like the wittiest lyrics you could possibly dream up, yep. it somehow levels the playing field for everybody to enjoy it. The man rhymed cojones and testosterones. I mean, come on, come David on, David Yazbek, come on! That's ridiculous. Home anyway. run, Ugh. Yazzy. I don't know. He needs a nickname. Let me. Um, I, I'm going to tell you real quick my favorite David Yazbek story. Oh, you, use it or don't use it. This is this <laughs> first day of uh, meet and greets in New York for rehearsals. Everybody's going around giving their, you know, inspirational stuff. Happy to be here, you know, blah, blah. This show is so important, et cetera. And they turned to him and said, yes, Beck, do you have anything? He goes, yes, I, I have very something very important that I want to say. And we're all wrapped, you know, what, what's David mm -hmm. Yazbek going to yeah. say? And he goes, the water level in the toilet in the men's bathroom is very high. So I just want you... <laughs> To be careful when you go in, if you need to use the facilities, that it doesn't shoot up and spray you like it did to me. Just please, please be aware and please be careful. Thank you. And that was his entire opening speech. That was my introduction to David Yazbek. It was. Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed. It was my favorite That's thing. That's fantastic. My favorite thing ever. Okay, so we we meet this band. Those are kind of the two main members. How many are? orchestra members and how many are just actors excellent question let me think we have we have Tufik, who's the conductor we have khaled and simone who oh simone is the one who plays the like the clair correct oboe he, or clarinet clarinet yep he's he's working on a, a concerto and yes. uh, that he hasn't been able to finish for for a long time they they're both actors they don't actually play but we have kamel who is my friend ronnie that i was telling you about he's an actor but he also plays cello player, a darbuka player, which is a drum, and a clarinet player. So five people who actually play on stage and Sweet. two who pretend very impressively. And when this whole misunderstanding goes down of mm -hmm. where they need to be going in order to, you know, have their performance, mm -hmm. 
they're asking this girl at the ticket counter, and it should be known that on the tour, it is played by a dear friend of the podcast, Miss Sarah Kapner. Yes, so it is. Shout, shout out, out Sarah shout with out her Kapner. perm. Love her. <laughs> Love that girl. I We might be posting a picture of her in that wig because Please do. it's glorious. Please do. That would make me happy. <laughs> I guess it should be known also that Tofik really gets mad at Khalid. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was the one who ultimately made the mistake, right, of Correct. getting them to the wrong city. Yeah, he's the, and, you know, the young, and, the young ne'er do well guy who is more interested in picking up girls than uh, listening yeah. to orders and playing with the orchestra. So, and his pickup line is always uh, all about Chet Baker. <laughs> yeah. Do you know Chet Baker? Yeah, yep, yeah. Hey, Mark, do you listen to Chet Baker? Oh, I love me some Chet Baker. <laughs> I could. <laughs> me too. Old Devil Moon by Chet Baker. Oh. Come on, that is. Nothing better. My funny Valentine. <laughs> so Tofik tells him, like, by the way, after this, you're out of the band. Mm-hmm. Like, you've ruined everything. Yeah. You're out, and it definitely hurts. Oh yeah. yeah, you can see that. You can see that that hurts. The youngest member of the band. Yeah. All right, so the band is off to one of the cities that is not the right one, Correct. which I'm not even going to pretend <laughs> to remember what we discussed earlier. They think they're off to Petah Tikva, but they are in reality off to Beit HaTikva. And when they show up, they have stumbled into a town that is in slow motion. It is in the middle of nowhere, full of people who, I don't want to say are doing nothing, but the whole song is called Waiting. You're not wrong. Right? Yeah, you're not wrong. They're... They're certainly in a state of, is this it for my life? They're doing things, but they're not really doing anything. You know, they're moving chairs and they're, you know, carrying crates, but they're not really doing anything of uh, of substance, we'll say. One of the big locations that we discover is a cafe. And the cafe is run by one Miss Dina. Mm-hmm. Dina is is a divorcee. Correct. She doesn't have any children, but she owns this cafe that has two workers who are named Poppy mm-hmm. and help me out with the other one. Itzik. Itzik. Yep. How would you describe Dina? Because oh, I'm interested. Dina. <laughs> I mean, I would I would love to hear how so many people describe Dina because she's a fa- it's a fascinating character. She's very I I don't mean to say this in a derogatory way, but she's very Israeli. In her directness, in her slightly uh, off-putting manner, that that could be um, that could be sensed as off-putting, yeah, interpreted exactly. Mm -hmm. But she's someone who just has always wanted to live life and never has been able to. She talks about how she, when she was younger, she wanted to be a dancer, and they say, "Well, why didn't you?" And she just goes, "Eh, "I don't know, just didn't work out. Basically, I I wanted to, didn't happen," and she just kind of leaves it. At that, and she's someone who is resigned to her lot in life, but wants something, wants something more, and wants something to happen to her. You know, this whole time she just she hasn't, and so many of the people in this in this town just haven't been able to feel anything except the everyday humdrum life that they have. And she just, I feel like she's such a passionate person, and that passion has no has had no outlet, outlet whatsoever, right. but a a thoughtful, caring, smart, witty as hell person. It, yeah, that's that's the best way I can put her. Uh, it's almost like she doesn't belong in the town, and yeah. yet she seems like such an essential fixture of the town. That's and a great I think way of putting it. F- for those of us who have 
come from small towns or even visited places, you meet people like that. And I'm grateful for people like that because in many ways they are responsible for the pulse of the city, right? The fact that they didn't pack up and move to Los Angeles is actually a huge blessing for the people surrounding them. Absolutely. I mean, what would that place be without Dina? Absolutely. And I know that that means that there were a lot of sacrifices that she probably incurred, but what a fascinating person. Originally on Broadway, she was played by Katrina Lenk. Yes. California's own Katrina Lenk. Right, right, from California. And I need to say that I have never seen anything more alluring or mesmerizing in my life. What a performance. I'll tell you, I... Sadly, so sadly, I never got to see the show live, which stinks. Oh, but having said that, and I'm, I, I guess I could say this out loud now, in preparing for the show, I was looking to see if there was anything that I could find. And I did find a bootleg of the show, which, mm-hmm. of course, I didn't find a bootleg. But if if I did, I <laughs> I watched it. And seriously, her performance from a crummy you know, camera phone from the balcony, it's still, it still reached, you know, that person's phone and reached through the phone and just was so captivating and just really just so rich and beautiful. I I was so happy to, uh, even though I didn't see it in person, to have been able to at least get a a small hint of it for that little bit of time. It was amazing. She's an extraordinary performer and she's got this maturity or not maturity. She has this kind of inner wisdom where you're like, is she in her early 20s or her late 40s? Like you can't really tell how old she is because of her spirit. And and she does. She moves like a dancer. She has this like porta bra that alludes to the fact that she's a natural mover. And I love that like she was nominated for like a Cheetah Rivera Award for best dancer in a show. She doesn't even really dance in that show. She just has she like pretends to to conduct at one point. But the the way that she was able to move was uh was almost like dancing. It it drives home I think the importance of actors to study dance because you see what she's able to do with her body as an actor and that isn't by accident. No. That is knowing your craft. That's knowing your instrument. Absolutely. You know? And a huge shout out to um, our choreographer, Patrick McCollum, too, who... Oh, wow. Yeah, let, please. Let me tell you that every... I, I watched the rehearsals of this. I watched I watched them work on this number ad nauseum because it is so intricate and so specific and so expressive that, you know, any anything out of place because it, because it's so intimate anything out of place mm-hmm. i don't want to say ruins it but it it changes it you know right. it, it, it changes it, it sure. changes it it's mesmerizing to watch and i i give him all the credit in the world for developing that and creating that that's amazing yeah uh, i think all of the numbers have those little touches where the choices that needed to be made had to be the right choices because there are so yeah. few of them absolutely the next song is called welcome to nowhere which is dina <laughs> and Itzik and Poppy kind of <laughs> explaining to the band where they are, that they are not where they think they are, that they're in fact uh, in nowhere. <laughs> yep. And it's one of those numbers that I think could have possibly gone to this place of, look, we're doing a musical, but instead yep. it's almost deadpan. If they do anything, it's because they're making fun of themselves, not making fun of musical theater. Yeah. And so it's both funny but appropriate for the show. They, in kind of a come-from-away type 
<laughs> situation, they decide to take in this band that some of them can stay with Poppy, some of them can stay with Itzik, and then Tofik can stay with Dina. Yep. And so, which is very generous because we're talking about Egyptians in Israel and they don't have the best past no. in terms of relationships. No. As recent as the 1970s, there was a huge war. Right. I think it was, was it the Yom Kippur War? It is very, very nice. Yes. And then ultimately led to peace discussions that were kind of overseen by Jimmy Carter, I think. As recent as that and as far back as, <laughs> I mean, we think about the story of Moses took place in sure. Egypt. And the, right. so... The Jewish people were not treated so well at that time. So we're talking... Not big some, fans of the Egyptians. Yeah, we're, we're talking something that's been festering for 5,000-some years. I mean, it's it's insane. So, Dang it. That's so fascinating. Like, we don't understand that type of history in America no. because we're so young. Like, respectively, when we're talking 5,000 years ago, mm -hmm. like, we have no concept of that. No. That's, that's insane. I mean, America is, what, 250 years old? 250 and we're talking about something that was 5,000 years old. I mean, there's no there's no way to quantify that in your brain. No, so, not at all. This is what I love about, about the show is clearly we're at a, a place right now where Egypt and Israel are okay, you know, mm -hmm. as well as can be expected given the history and what have you. But, you know, when you, when you grow up, you have relatives who remember that and there's, it's still a little raw and... I'm sure many of them were taught to be wary of of Egypt and at the very least have heard stories about what happened and can develop their own opinions on it. But that's where the beauty in this show comes in because it's not about politics and it's not about Israel and Egypt. It's about mm. basic humanity and basic human kindness where these people are in your town, they're stuck, they have nowhere to go, there's no hotel in this town. They have nowhere to go. The next bus doesn't come until the morning. So they're either going to sleep on the streets or you're going to help them. And these right. it's you looking at these people and saying, well, I know I'm not supposed to like them, but they never, they never did anything to me. I don't know who these people are. I'm going to do the decent human thing and say, I'll give you a place to sleep for the night. It's such an important lesson in this show because it's not about politics. It's not about religion. The word Jew, I think, is spoken once in the entire show. You know, we don't hear anything about it. religion. Like, everything that I'm kind of spouting off in terms of the history of Egypt and Israel is because I w felt inspired to look into the history of it. Right. This is not a history lesson for Western people not about these two different groups of people. You can sense a certain amount of history from the way that they interact, but there is no someone sitting down and being like, you don't understand. 5,000 years ago, my people escaped your people. Like there's The closest we get to seeing that there's some kind of discomfort in this situation is literally toward the beginning. A couple people say when they show up, when the Egyptians show up, um, where are you from? Mm -hmm. And they say, we're from Egypt. And they just go, Egypt. Wow. And it's just in those words, in those like five, six, seven words, tells a whole story. Where are you from? Yeah. We're from Egypt. Egypt. Wow. Now we start splitting up and watching where they all go. 
the first place we go is Dina's apartment. Correct. At Dina's apartment are Tofik and uh, Khalid. Yes, sir. And she does this scene with a watermelon. Now, is it a watermelon in in yours <laughs> you as well? Better believe it. Yeah. Which? Oh my gosh! It's my is, favorite thing in the world. It's very difficult to. I'm. You know, we've become good friends with uh, our crew, of course. And let me tell you how difficult it is to get fresh watermelon in Minneapolis in December. <laughs> so I'm sure. Oh man! But yes, there is watermelon. There is always watermelon. Okay, so she does this song. It's called It Is What It Is, I think. Yep. And she's, you know, uh, slicing watermelon for the two guys. But it's like also choreography. Like the first big slice is like on one beat, completely having a watermelon. And is that all? Like, is it just like the best knife in the world or yeah, because I've never been able to do that. I she I mean, must take a huge whack at it. There have been many a rehearsal on this about <laughs> on be- the watermelon. Well, because you need to be at the right angle for the audience to see it, but you need to be safe totally. about it, and you need to get it in the right place. So it's it's a big, but literally, it's just a sharp knife, and she, with all of her might, hacks the hell out of that watermelon. It's incredible. Yeah. And she puts it in, you know, slices it into slices once again on the music. So, like, this is choreography, but it's not choreography. Yeah. And as a dancer, I'm completely enthralled. I'm like, this is the best <laughs> choreography I've ever seen in my life. Yep. And what do we get at the end of the song? Like, where do we end up? Well, the fun thing is we don't end up anywhere. Is that she literally says, I was young and stupid and I met my husband. You know how these things go. Mm-hmm without telling us anything about that. She just says, you, you know how these things go. And we're like, no, no, no I don't. I don't. Can you explain, please? <laughs> and the song ends with her going, and it is what it is. You've got what you got then, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> you're like, what? Wait a minute. Do, do we clap and now? And God knows that. And thank God they never, ever do. But it's, it's so, it's fascinating because, again, it's a musical, but it's not a musical because you're going, wait, is the song, oh, was that a song? Wait, what was that? That's so it, cool. It's like, it was more like almost a stream of conscious, you know, thing for her, which is right. so fascinating. It's not, it, it's great that we get a lot from her because, you know, that, that obviously tells a lot about a person when you won't talk about yourself and you're guarded and shielded and not vulnerable. Right. And at the same time, we get nothing from her except for the fact that she wanted to be a dancer and she was married one time. Wow. And that's that's so and blah blah blah. And blah blah blah. All right, so from there we go to Itzy oh, see Itzik. Um, Itzik's place mm-hmm. and he has a wife and a baby. Correct. Uh Itzik once again is the guy who works at the cafe with Dina. Right. Uh one of the guys. I, and, actually I take it back. Itzik does not uh work at the cafe. He's oh, what just is he? there, he's just there a lot. Oh, really? And he says that. Uh, it's actually in, in the scene. Um, Simone says to him, he goes, and and you, you uh, work in the restaurant? or And he goes, uh, no, I am between works right now. Oh, that's right. Yep. Oh, my and, gosh. So he's and his just wife, there. He's just there. He's that, he's that guy from Cheers. And that's one of the reasons why his wife is so like frustrated Correct. with him. And it's been a while. So he's been out of work for a chunk of time. So it's him, his wife, who's so frustrated with him. Oh, yes. And, and then her, is it her father who's also there? Her father. Who is Avram. Avram. Of, that we learned. We, we never learned that, but it, that is, in <laughs> fact, his name, yes. <laughs> he is a widower. His wife passed away. Yes. So now they have opened up their home 
to Simone, who is the clarinet player. Mm-hmm. And Simone has been trying to write a concerto yeah. that Itzik has heard and really loves. And and they also have opened their home to Kamal. Is that right? Technically Kamel, but yes. Kamel. Okay. It's yeah, more of an E-H, but in the in the Arabic pronunciation. But yes, it, it is. You are correct. <laughs> no, I don't. Know. I don't mean to teach. Believe me, it's just I just no. So many by times. all means, look. <laughs> like I said, I love the show, and yet I couldn't feel more like a stranger in a strange land. So Itzik, having heard Simone's concerto that he was playing, tries to get him to play it for everyone at the dinner table. The whole time, from second one, Avram is skeptical. He he does the whole "Where where are you from?" thing again. Yeah, and yeah. The second yeah. he hears, uh, Itzik says, "You know, he wrote a concerto," and Avram perks up. Because he mm. he plays in a band, and Avram finally does. Avram does. Yeah, he plays kinor violin, and all of a sudden, this humongous weight that was at the table between you know the Israeli Egypt thing between Itzik and Iris's that's his wife Itzik and Iris's uh, tensions, all of a sudden is lifted because mm. the commonality is music. Right, Avram saying, "I'm going to forget who you are right now because I play in a band too." Mm. How cool is that? Let's talk about music and playing in a band. And he met his wife, you know, while he was playing in a band and all that. So it's... Which gives way to this amazing song. Yeah. It talks about the beat of your heart, right? Yes. That music is love. That's right. Uh, a little, it... little inside scoop on this, uh, by the way. Yeah, the first the, the first lines in the song are, she was in a white dress with red and purple ribbons in her hair. She was dancing with somebody, but in love and music, all is fair. And we found out... That that is how David Yazbek first met his wife. She was in a white dress really? with red and purple ribbons in her hair, and she was dancing with somebody else. Wow. That was the first time he saw his wife, and he put that into the show. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. See, he's a sensitive guy. He talks about toilet water, but yeah. we all know what's in that heart. Deep down. <laughs> way deep down. Dig it, dig it, deep down. Nice. Nice pull. I'm with you there. Thank you. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad you, you got that. I got you. We should also probably say that in the town, there's like one telephone. One telephone. You know, they obviously want to call the place that they're supposed to be going to let them know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is the guy who is in charge of calling? Uh, Kamel. That's Kamel. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. So he tries to go use the phone, but it's being guarded by a local who will not leave the telephone alone. Yep. And it's because he's waiting for his girlfriend to call. For a month, he's been waiting. And she hasn't called. Nope. Everyone knows that she hasn't called, but he will not let uh, let it go. That's right. Kamal is able to finally make the call, though. He he kind of tricks him into letting him use the telephone yeah. and calls ahead and, and lets the embassy know what's, what's happened and where they are. Mm-hmm. What an interesting character. Do we know what his name is, the guy who guards the phone? He is aptly named Telephone Guy. Yes! That, that is his name. That's all we ever know. We know that his girlfriend's name is Amalia, but we all we know of him is he is telephone guy. Not since Piragua. Yes. <laughs> have we had a character <laughs> nice. without a name be so amazing. That's right. <laughs> Great. Back at Dina's place, Khaled, uh, who's the younger guy, has decided to kind of go out. They all, they all have. Dina has decided to take Tufik out to eat, and Khaled wants to go out as well. So they go in two different ways. And Correct. Dina and Tofik end up at like a, a restaurant. Yeah. Um, a crummy, you know. Just a cr- with like those 
red plastic trays. Like it, it looks like the mall. It looks Isn't like it a place that you would go at the mall. It's so yeah. great. Yeah. So she has her food, and they start talking about art, specifically Egyptian. And she reveals that there were all of these artists that reached her from where he's from. That yep. there were these Egyptian films and Egyptian uh, music that would that would reach her ears and inspire something within her. From what I understand, uh, and our, our wonderful dramaturg slash Israeli dialect coach, Zohar, would tell us about this, that uh, she's from Israel, and she mm -hmm. would say that their TV signals weren't very strong back then. You know, they'd get a couple mm. channels and all that. But on, I believe she said Friday evenings, they would get a broadcast from Egypt. Wow. Just a random broadcast, whether it be a TV show or music or whatever. And uh, one of the big draws that people used to wait to see every single week was an Egyptian singer. Of, uh, I mean, maybe one of the most famous people in the history of Egypt, and I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that, Um Kultum. And the people were mesmerized by her and by her singing. And uh, that's who Dina latched onto, uh, Um Kultum and Omar Sharif, as she says. And this song called Omar Sharif mm -hmm. is one of the most hauntingly beautiful songs I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And I think it's one of the best songs of that entire Broadway season. Oh, yeah. I, I would agree wholeheartedly. From the music and the sound of it to the instrumentation of it, and then the lyrics, she talks about how she's receiving this culture from Egypt through her television or through her radio, whatever. And it's like honey in her ears and spice in her mouth. Mm -hmm. And that that it came in on a jasmine wind. Like, oh my gosh, they, it paints such an amazing picture. The living room becomes a garden. The TV mm -hmm. set becomes a fountain. I mean, if you're listening to those lyrics right now and you're not seeing that somewhere in your mind's eye, I mean, I... Yeah. I'd be stunned because it just, it is beautifully, beautifully written. Ugh. Yeah. And once again, like Dina is such a, she seems like such a tough individual who then has no problem opening her heart in such yeah. a revealing and vulnerable way. It's just such yeah. a fascinating character. Which then allows a tough character like Tufik to do the same later on. Yeah. A very non-vulnerable character who just completely opens up everything to her. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful to watch. Th there's this softening that we see throughout the show, yeah. I guess, of everybody, but it's because of everybody yeah. <laughs> at the yeah. same time. Nicely put, yeah. And then the important thing happens. You are the, you're the mean guy? That's me. That's oh, me. Gasp. Yes. I didn't know that, Mark Ginsburg. Oh, yes. Whenever people ask who I am, which happens a lot at the stage door. They say, who yeah. are you again? And I say, I, I was the guy in the leather jacket who smokes and yells a lot. And they go, oh, like, I got, I got it. it. Yep, that, yep. I, I see. I remember. <laughs> so that's me. So Sammy, Sammy the Jerk, as we call him, yep. comes in and he's like, Dina, come on. What, what are you doing with this guy? Hey. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> It's no, it's no joke, Sammy. I'll give you a little, a little thing about how I see Sammy. Sammy, yes, please. We don't get much from uh, from the page except that he is her on again, off again lover, and he's got a wife and a kid. That's it. Uh, I see Sammy as 
the townie who never grew up. He was the cool guy in high school. You know, he probably had his hair slicked back and he, you know, wore cool clothes and baggy jeans and he was he was a ladies man and all this kind of stuff and then he was just stuck in that. And you see it now. He's he's got his wife, but he still has a leather jacket over a track jacket over a yellow tank top. Oh my with, gosh. You know, and he's he's smoking cigarettes. He still has the baggy jeans, and he still thinks he is the cool guy, and he's just not. And oh, that's so gross. Again, I don't think he's the bad guy. There's really no bad guy in this piece, but right, he's the guy with the questionable morals and the questionable decisions. But he's there, and there's nothing we could do about it. So he comes in and pees in their cornflakes <laughs> during yeah, this lovely so moment, for sure. And gives her, I guess, the opportunity to, to stand up and be like, be nice. But at the same time, it's it, as Dina would do it. It's not like how Sandra Bullock would do it in a film. No, and she she takes the opportunity. Let, let's just say Sammy is definitely not a nice guy and he's not doing the right things. But she could very easily have just let that opportunity go by, you know, where she mm-hmm. sees him and just goes, don't, don't look at him. He's this guy I'm seeing. Don't look at him. I don't want to you know, right, cause problems right. on this nice night that we're having. But she full on says, Sammy, come on over and talk to us. Wow. And she she full on flexes in front of in front of Tufik and is just like, hey, what are, what are you doing here? You're out with for a nice night with your family? Like really oh, leaning sorry. in and and purposely trying to piss him off because she says, he knows this is a place I like to eat. He wasn't supposed to bring her here. And now she's exacting some form of revenge in front of his wife and in front of this guy. And Sammy is not happy about it at all. Wow. Interesting. Yep. That's a that's some serious power play. I love it. Okay. Where do we go from there? Do we go to... Uh... That's when we go back to Itzik's apartment where they ask Simone to play, um, oh, right, right, play right. his concerto. So finally he does play, but it's not finished. And, and when he gets done... Uh, everyone's like, is that it? And he's like, yeah, I told you. I like, I didn't finish it. It's not that great. Yeah. What happens is then Itzik has this beautiful monologue. We call it the tree monologue, um, where he says in, in short, you know, when I was a kid, I had a birthday and my mom made this beautiful party for me, but I climbed a tree and it was just so beautiful there that I didn't want to come down and people were calling my name. I didn't answer. I wanted to be in the tree and I missed my birthday. And he says, maybe you not finishing your concertos like this. You're just in a tree and you don't want to come down, which I think mm. is just amazing, an amazing way of looking at it. It's just so mm-hmm. fascinating and beautiful. And of course, his wife is and, not having and that And his at wife's all. like, no, you're still in that stupid tree and you won't yep. come down. And That's we're right. all here trying to make life work while you're in a stupid tree. That's right. Which I, my God, I love that scene. It's so great. Yeah. So great. And, and I mean, she makes a scene, but at the same time, you know, it's not the first time that this has happened. No. You like this. This feels like something that's constantly brewing and has been a problem in their relationship for for yeah. some time. And the thing is, when you look at it, you you know, you could be watching the show and just going, geez, lady, take it easy. This is holy mackerel. They're having we're having a really nice night here, you know. Mm-hmm. But then you step back and you go. No, she is 100% justified. No, she's absolutely justified. 100% where this whole time he doesn't have a job and he's just hanging in his tree and mm-hmm. life's happening and she's, you know, she cares for invalids um, at, in her own words uh, for her job and then she comes home and takes care of the baby and takes care of her husband mm-hmm. and takes care of her father and he's just in his tree the whole time. Oh, it's a heartbreaking, heartbreaking moment. 
Once at the very beginning of the show, we identify with the band in making this kind of mistake. We're then able to see all of these situations from their perspective. And to be one of these band members at this home when this fight occurs, you you feel the tension of what that's like. But then at the same time, you feel compassion because you've grown to love these other people as well. It's it's an empathic experience that it sure is. And the natural unique. progression from there is obviously to go into a roller rink. <laughs> where, where else do you go after a domestic dispute do but to a roller rink, of course. Exactly. So she shows so she storms out of the of the house and then we see some really expert uh roller skating. No joke. No joke. Um it it's really fantastic. It's impressive. And uh, we have Khalid and we have Poppy. And Poppy is now, does he work at the cafe or is he, he just does. a hanger out or two? Okay, so he, he actually works at the cafe. Yes. And he's on this like double date with his friend who has a velour shirt. I don't know what his name is. <laughs> Zelger. <laughs> I mean, <That's> Zelger. <laughs> he has some fashion statements in the show. Let me tell you. <laughs> and the hair. Don't forget the hair, the long oh, the flowing hair. locks. Oh, good heavens. So he has this date, and they're, like, hot and heavy and and happy. And then Poppy has Julia, also played by Sarah Kapner. Sarah Kapner. Who is, like, a wet blanket, I guess is how you would call her. As Poppy Poppy describes her, I know this girl. She's so gloomy. That's the (laughs) – he just completely – continues to call her the gloomy girl. So It couldn't be more awkward because they're at this roller rink (laughs) – with what song is playing, by the way? I love that in this sunny, musical. Sunny, sunny, thank you for the sunshine. Okay, sunny <laughs> that uh, you gave like it's an to actual me. song. I love that there are that there is music in this musical that is not necessarily part of the score. It's yeah, which is seems really interesting. Anyway, so they're they're skating to this song. The one couple's hot and heavy and doing all of these crazy tricks, and then you got Gloom and Doom and Poppy, who yeah. is just the worst date you've ever seen. Ever. And Khalid is there, who once again has kind of established himself as this romantic guy who's always into Chet Baker. And he kind of goes up to Poppy and is like, buddy, how can I help with this situation? Yeah. And Poppy has this great song about how whenever he talks to girls, all he hears is the ocean. And this is such a great David Yazbek song. It's it's the it, most Yazbek song in, in the show. It's great to listen to on the album. But then when you see it actually performed in person, it takes on a whole other level. It's just it's a great song to see acted as well as to hear sung. Yeah. Khaled then responds by singing a song called Khaled's Song About Love. Aptly named, yes. Another fantastic song that sounds just like a Chet Baker song. Yeah. And he croons and is kind of explaining to him about what love is and, and how to bring it about in, in yeah. relationships. And it doesn't feel gross or creepy because we understand that in many ways Khaled is living out this wish fulfillment that he isn't going to have in his life because in his family in Egypt it's arranged marriage he will not be able to pick you know who he falls in love with and marries and so he's kind of living out this fantasy through Poppy's life and really inspires within him it starts out as a as a solo and then becomes a duet to show that you know that Poppy agrees and and kind of implements this this outlook on life. It's yeah. it's such a fun moment and he ends up skating with Gloomy Girl. I always thought when I first heard the show and I heard Holland's Song of Love, I was like, well, what a great moment to have an Arabic song in here. I'm I'm so curious mm. 
why they didn't do that. But then after watching it for a while, I went, oh, this is Holland's language. His language is jazz. His language is mm -hmm. Chet Baker. And that's where this song comes from. And it made, it, it finally made all the sense in the world to me. And I just went, I, I get it now. And it, it is a beautiful moment. I really, really enjoy it. That's really cool. Yeah. After the roller rink, we go to the park. And the park is in <laughs> quotations. Big time. <laughs> because the park is a bench. Yep. And the rest is up to your imagination. And so Dina takes Tofik, the conductor, to this park. But they sit on the, the bench and have this conversation about basically what it means to be a conductor. She kind of feels like, oh, that must feel so powerful to, to give a downbeat of right. the music. And in many ways, he kind of doesn't think so. You know, it's something that he's used to. It's something mm -hmm. that he's been doing for a long time. And not that we aren't passionate about things that we do for a long time or that we're used to. But when somebody says to you, you know, Jeff, it must feel so great to, you know, be doing all those time steps. And you're like, they're, they're time steps. You know, it's, it's fun. Exactly. I enjoy it. But it's not like totally. a life-altering moment for you anymore. <laughs> um, I would I would assume not. I don't, I don't mean to, no, <laughs> to it's assume. True. Especially, especially with TAP, I'll say the things that the audience applauds for are never the hardest things. Right. Like I just did something really, really intricate and then I did trenches and I was then they say, started oh, clapping. I was just about I'm to like, say they seriously? love trenches. I was just about to say they love trenches. You beat me to it. Oh, but yeah, we all have those, we all have those things. And he just says, no, the most important thing in the world is fishing. And, and the oh, audience, right. oh, and I the audience, that. the audience laughs and he just goes, no, it's just, you're out there and it's, the waves and the cool of the water and the bait and it's just quiet and beautiful and it's a beautiful moment where he goes yeah it's great and i i enjoy it but i have much more simple pleasures than that i don't i don't need that to feel inspired in my life every single day which gives way to a kind of inner monologue and it's the only time that this i think really happens in the show yeah. so dina sings this song called something different which yeah. is her breaking away from him and having a moment to herself of realizing this is a different kind of person, obviously different than Sammy. Yeah, yeah. And what would it be like to be with someone like this, someone who appreciates silence, who appreciates simple things? And I love that it's not a love song. No. It's not one of those, he's transformed me. I, I feel, you know, no. such a love for him. No, she's just... She just says, wow, what's because he starts singing for her right before that in Arabic. Mm -hmm. And she goes, wow, what's he singing? Is it a hymn? Is it a love song? What's he singing? That's so, is it all this? Or is he just singing about fishing? What, what, what is he singing about? <laughs> and he's not a young man. He doesn't have young mm -hmm. hands, as she says. Oh, that's right. It's, it's beautiful. And she goes, I don't know what I feel and I don't know what I know. And at that point, in any regular Broadway show, she would say, I don't know what I feel. I don't know what I know, but I think it's called love. You know, oh, that kind of thing. you're so right. Call it you out. Know, love, of course, we've heard it and it's all beautiful. But she says, I don't know what I feel and I don't know what I know. All I know is I feel something different. And that's so powerful that it doesn't have to be, you know, when we have these moments in our lives, different is good because mm -hmm. different leads to thought and it leads to action and it leads to looking Perfect. inside yourself yeah so i oh it's beautiful man it's beautiful this is That's a good great. show 
<laughs> right? This is a good show. It's a pretty good show. It's a good show. I like this show. After that beautiful scene, we go to another beautiful scene, which is honestly, this is my favorite scene in the show. We go oh, to back. Jeff, you make me so happy. Keep going. First of really? all, you miss Sammy. You miss Sammy's second entrance when Sammy comes oh, in and I'm yells so at them sorry. again. I'm oh, just my gosh, saying. Forgive me. I'm just saying. <laughs> there is actually co- quite a bit of yelling. There is. There is. He just says, "What were you doing there?" You know, my wife's asking all these questions, and they yell at each other, and and they walk off. But no, the I'm so glad that you said that this next scene is your favorite because it's my favorite too. Really? Yes. Ugh. It's so, okay. So we go back to Itzik's uh, apartment, right? Yep, and yep, yep. want to to remind everybody the the wife has left, and so uh, Itzik's there with the baby who uh, is sleeping. And does it begin with the song? It begins with the song. Uh, again, transition music as we're melting into the apartment. Itzik is pushing the crib out, and we hear we hear the oud. Uh, which mm-hmm. is the you know the Arabic guitar esque stringed instrument? Yeah, uh, it's being like played a guitar, by Kamel. but there's no place for your for your leg. No, not like at in all. a normal guitar. It's just a big bowl that mm-hmm. in there. And it's just a single oud playing, and it's beautiful. And Itzik starts singing the lullaby to his son, which is my favorite song in the show. Once again, like when do we have a complex character like the quote unquote? do-nothing husband who's a disappointment to his wife have this tender moment of expressing love and insecurity to their child. Yeah. And it's not that he's not aware of this. That's yeah, the, that's exactly. the thing. He literally sings a line. Um, uh, we fell in love, your mom and I. We started plans and started life. But now we fight and back away the loser and the loser's wife. Mm. I mean, it's just that's it, how he sees himself. Yeah, and as a guy with a with a young son, I just every time I hear it, it just breaks my heart. It's just so so sad. This gives way to the wife coming back. Yep, and he of course was worried, but it leads to a little bit more arguing, and then and then the baby starts crying. The baby wakes up, which. Of course, is the worst thing that I think you can do to a young couple is oh, yeah. wake their baby, right? Yes. Sleep time is just so essential and, and throws everything into, which is probably why you're in the closet right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> so Simone takes his clarinet into the baby's room and begins playing his concerto to the baby. Mm-hmm. And as he begins to play, the baby falls back asleep. And then he's able to finish his concerto. Yep. Like, are you kidding me? It's such a beautiful, miraculous moment. That gift, because it is a gift, releases this current of emotions in both Itzik and his wife that wouldn't have been able to be released otherwise. That's right. And you see them crumble onto the ground, sobbing and holding each other. It's so special. It's It's such a special, intimate moment. Do you think that it provides an opportunity for connection for them in their marriage as well? Absolutely. I think so. And, you know, she she does start crying and she does have a breakdown. And I think that's a time that, and you know, Iris is not a shy person. She'll she'll tell you what she, what she thinks. And I think now that he sees the desperateness, des- desperation, that would be the right word, desperation yeah. of the situation, you know, he can, he can finally say to her, Tell me what's tell me what's going on. What can I do when she couldn't when she could barely voice it herself before? Right. And now she 
she could say these things, you can, you can say, I just thanked a complete stranger and I haven't been able to do that with you. Why is that? It's not going to solve everything. You know, they're not going to be fine mm -hmm. tomorrow, but at least they can see each other for the first time. You know, it's that moment when you stop seeing anger and you start seeing pain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I think anger, even looking around at what's going on in the nation right now, anger can be a really powerful motivator for change. Mm -hmm. um, it can it can be a a catalyst for something else. But the moment that you actually see the pain underlying is when is the moment of connection yeah. is the moment where I think you meet someone soul to soul. Absolutely. Oh, good show. So, so good. It's a, this is a good, good show. Good musical. Man. <laughs> God. <laughs> All right. Where do we go next? Help me out. Oh, we go back to the street uh, with Dina and Tufik. This is where everything comes out. So then, oh shoot! Right, yeah, this is where. Oh my all gosh! I thought we were in the clear, but happened. we're not. We haven't no. even like started. Oh no! This is where it really gets good. So thanks for sticking around, guys. This is right now. Now we're getting <laughs> to the good stuff. <laughs> so how does this revelation come out about Tofik and his past? Yeah, it basically comes out there walking along, and Dina finally gets you know some guts and says, "Hey, these songs that we're talking about, these Arab songs and these Arab movies." We could live that if you want, you know, big mm. love, Arabic love. We can live that tonight. We might not have it all together, but tonight we could live that kind of life for one night. What do you say? And again, in any other musical or many musicals, he would say, you're right. You're wow. You're a fantastic lady. Cue love song. Cue love song. And the next thing he says is, Dina, my wife died because of me. And you just go, oh, my God, what, now what? We we never hear specifically what it is, but we hear that uh, Tufik and his wife had a son, mm -hmm. a bright and beautiful son. He was a wonderful guy, but he made some mistakes. And he keeps saying, I didn't understand him. He says, like, he was sensitive like her, which like immediately her. made me think, is was he gay? Like, I thought, like, that was honestly my first thought. I mean, I, that's that's always how I interpreted it. But we, you know, the only one who would know is uh, Iran Kolarin, who wrote the original the original film. I would love to pick his brain one day. But yeah, uh, yeah that's that's where I went too, of course. But he never says, you know, he did this awful thing, this despicable thing, and I I couldn't take it. And he just keeps saying he made some mistakes, and he didn't say I banished him or I kicked mm -hmm. him out. He just kept saying I didn't understand him. Right. He had this going on and I just, I couldn't understand. I tried to understand and I couldn't understand him. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it turns out obviously that his son took his life and it basically, it killed his wife and she ended up uh, dying. Essentially what we could, we could deem it as a broken heart. You know, I'm sure there was mm -hmm. something else, but. Uh, she wasn't, yeah. she was never the same and never recovered. And he's basically telling her, this is why I am the way I am. And I'm not, I'm not down with just having a beautiful night with someone. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And, you know, yeah. he asked, he asked Dina if she ever had kids um, to understand. She said, no, you know. What I, a great line. She says, when I could, I didn't want to. And when I did, I couldn't. Yeah. It, it expresses another big topic in the show, which is regret. Right. And how we all have different versions of it. 
What's interesting is that Dina is still in this mood for connection. Oh, yeah. And so she ends up in a very rushed way that is never really talked about after she runs into the arms of Khaled. Khaled, yep. That's, and she tries again with Tufik. She sure does try. It's so fascinating that it's this musical about a near romance between a woman and kind of an, an older man. Yeah. What? Are you I, kidding me? Like, how did this thing get made? I have no idea. And again, that brings another beautiful line into that. When this is after, finally, after, you know, he and Holland have been at, at odds this whole time. And he turns to him and says, I like Chet Baker. Mm, and and, right. and Holland starts playing the music and, you know, they have this connection. And Tufik says, I'm going to sleep. But here's the best part. Then Dina says, she gives it one more valiant effort. She says, oh, you don't want some wine? You know, I, I have some in the fridge. And we all know what wine means. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> she might as well have said Netflix and chill, but she said wine. <laughs> um, I have some in the fridge. And he says, no, not for me. Not tonight. It's too late. Whether mm -hmm. that means it's too late. It's, you know, we have to wake up early in the morning or it's too late for me for period. that period. Wow. And that's, it's another beautiful moment. And he calls Holland, my boy, he says, good night, my boy. It's this beautiful moment. And which is which is beautiful because you see ugh. him trying something different with Holland that, yeah. that he wasn't able to do with his own son. Yep. It's, well, yeah, that's exactly one million percent it. it. It just locks it all up. And then, yes, Dina, at this point, what is she going to do with all that? Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. she, she can't just go to sleep and just put that and tuck that back inside. It's got to go somewhere. And there happens to be a pretty good looking guy who... You know, you do bada what you got to do. Boom. Yep. Man, I, I just can't imagine what she must have been feeling in that moment to have never, maybe in her life, opened up to someone. She certainly didn't do it with Sammy. I doubt she did right. it with her husband. And right. finally, after all this time, she has the guts to do that. And this guy very politely just says, it's too late. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Oof. I just can't. What's interesting, though, is that the show, despite all of this pain and sadness, is actually quite uplifting. It's hilarious. It's great. It, it's <laughs> it's hilarious. And, and then really has this wonderfully satisfying ending yeah. in which telephone guy receives a telephone call. Oh, God. After all that time, he's been waiting by the telephone. Beautiful He gets song. the call. And I, I don't even know what the call says. <laughs> Uh, funny thing, through this whole show, there is obviously English spoken, but there's a lot of Hebrew and a lot of Arabic um, through the whole show. And not once do we ever use subtitles. There are no mm. subtitles because you don't need to know every single word. Every you know everything has a place and a meaning, but you get what's going on. There is right. you you don't miss a moment if you don't understand what they're saying. The only time uh, subtitles are ever used is on that phone call. That is the only time. I don't know what the what uh, went into that decision making to have that be the only moment, but that's it. And literally, he picks up the phone and just says, "Amalia, is that you?" "Yeah, yeah. How, how's it going?" "Me, I'm I'm doing great. I'm I'm wearing the sweater that you made me. It keeps me warm." That's <laughs> literally all that is said. Not, "Oh my God, my love, my darling. I've been waiting for months for you to call. I I I'm so happy." He just. Oh that's, my gosh, that's so great. It's unbelievable. The simplicity of that. Yeah. It's actually kind of a, a big song with the whole cast, yeah, called Answer Me. There are only two songs with the entire cast, Waiting and Answer Me, and that's it. And they bookend the show. It is a it is kind of a back to the beginning moment. Yeah. We've heard how everybody is waiting, 
And some people have taken steps forward. Some people have ha- have taken steps back. Some people are still right where they left. Yeah. And yet it feels new. It, oh, yeah. it still feels new at, at the end of this story. In my opinion, at the heart of this show, it's all about connection and communication, like you were saying, and the need to to communicate and the need to be heard and the need to express yourself. That's what makes the whole language barrier, you know, so interesting and so funny and Poppy not being able to talk to girls and Itzik and Iris not being able to communicate with each other. It's just everybody is looking to communicate and connect, but nobody ever voices it. Nobody mm-hmm. ever says, I need you to listen to me or listen. And this last song is everybody finally admitting that they just want someone to answer me, just communicate mm. with me, just please hear me. It's it's just a beautiful moment in the show. I I, I love it. It's uh, it's such a complete pleasure to sing it every night. That's really cool. Uh, I love that. The last moment of the show is the band finally gets to where they were supposed to be going, and they're all seated and. Tufik, the conductor, comes out and he raises his arms for the big downbeat. And you know that he is thinking of the conversation that he had with Dina about yeah. this very moment. Yeah. And as he brings his arms down for the beginning of something, the lights go out. Blackout. And that's the end of the show. That's it. Boom! Crazy. Uh, 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 uh. And then we start so act good. two. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a 90 no. One of our it. faves. That's it. And then after current call, there's like a so much better than Mamma Mia. There's, oh. <laughs> well, that's there's tough. Like, Oop, that there, there's there's an encore of uh, with the band playing and just doing the most insane things you've ever seen with instruments. It's incredible. It's, inc- it's absolutely incredible. For those listening, when you come to see the show. We, we say this every night during curtain call as we're standing there and we see people leaving to get to their cars and beat traffic. Don't go! We, seriously, we want to scream out and go, no, 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 you're missing, you're missing it, you're missing it. Because literally, stay until after curtain call and watch these five musicians just slay it. They play the concert and they each have standout solo moments and it is, you leave with such energy coursing through your body. Oh, Amen. Man. Oh, it's man, so oh, true. That is, Stay. Uh, it's so Stick great. Stick around. Trust me. Now, obviously, me stumbling through the names and cultures and things, this show brings a lot of exposure to me that I haven't had in my in my own life. Yeah. But I know that it also brings a lot of exposure to those who are in the show, whose life it is, and who don't often get to participate in these types of stories. Yeah. I wanted to read a few quotes. Uh, one is from the original Khaled, Ariel Stachel. Yeah. When he won his Tony Award, he said, For so many years of my life, I pretended I was not a Middle Eastern person. I am part of a cast of actors who never believed that they'd be able to portray their own races, and we are doing that. And not only that, but we're getting messages from kids all over the Middle East thanking us and telling us how transformative our representation is for them. I want any kid that's watching to know that your biggest obstacle may turn into your purpose. Man, what a good speech. Inspired. Yes. Your biggest obstacle may turn into your purpose. Yeah. And, you know, that's just something that that I don't think we understand. There, One of the actors uh, in the show, George Aboud, yeah. he was a violinist. Yeah. 
He said, when you're a Lebanese actor or an Arab actor in New York, you go in for certain roles and you're kind of destined to play certain situations. Most of them are either politicized or religious or terrorists. Yep. And that's, that's basically all you're hired to do. And in this, we finally get a play where everyone is just being a person. And I, I think that's so funny because, like, one of the places for comedy is the mundaneness of this town, right? Yeah. Waiting, nothing, answer me. I just this kind of nothingness. And yeah. yet that is what makes it so special is that we're not talking about terrorism. We're not talking about 9-11. We're not talking about anything other than people going through the exact same things that anybody else might go through in those particular situations right. just through this lens that feels a little foreign and in doing so teaches us so much. Oh, man, you, you couldn't possibly be more right. I mean, we talk about this all the time. One of our actors, James Rana, who plays uh, Simone, he loves this show more than anybody, but he's done the show over 800 times and he's never gotten tired of it and never, ever will. This is his home because... When he was in New York before this show came along, the roles that he was being called in for were doctors, religious figures, and terrorists. And that was it. <laughs> and I'm talking, this is, a, this is a highly trained performer with a passion for the work. And he couldn't get seen for anything other than doctors and terrorists, basically. And this show came along and changed his life. It, it didn't make him a superstar. It didn't make him a multimillionaire. It made him a person and it made him a human being with a story to tell. Clearly, I don't want to speak for him, but I've had this conversation many times with him. It's just heartbreaking and uplifting at the same time. And uh, hopefully this is the beginning of much more of that. There is room. There is room for everyone in everyone's story. Amen. And I can't wait to see and learn about more, more people in more parts of the world. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for doing this with me, Mark. Oh, I had a wonderful time. Pleasure was mine. Thank you. As always, if you have suggestions for shows you'd like us to cover on A Musical Theater Podcast, you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at A Musical Podcast for more great content. And be sure to check out our Tee Public store where we have original designs, you can put on pretty much anything, including face masks, in case you want a cute musical theater face mask. Nice. That are paying homage to some of our favorite episodes of the podcast, both past and present. Mark, how do we follow you and everything you're up to? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, hopefully we'll be out on the road again uh, sooner rather than later. I'll, I'll be posting about that. Uh, there are a bunch of places. There's my Facebook page that's... Uh, Mark Ginsburg uh, official page. Uh, I'm on Twitter at M underscore Ginsburg, G-I-N-S-B-U-R-G. I'm on Instagram at Mark, M-A-R-C underscore Ginsburg. They're different because somebody snatched them up before I got to them. So Gosh, dang sorry it. about that, guys. And um, <laughs> there's my website, www.markandliza, M-A-R-C-A-N-D-L-I-Z-A. That's my wife, dot com. Uh, and there's always the Band's Visit uh, website where hopefully they'll keep you updated on when we go back out, whenever that may be. Be on the lookout for it because as listening to this episode, you can tell it's an experience that you can't miss in the theater. The gentleman who is playing Tufik is a gentleman named Sasson Gabay, who is a mega, mega Israeli star. I mean like the Marlon really? Brando of Israel. I'm not even kidding. <gasps> oh, and my gosh. Just, and it just so happens... 
that he was Tufik in the movie. So No way. Yes, sir. This is his role. There I have is, no idea. Yep, he he was actually uh approached to do the original Broadway production way back, but he had conflicts. Uh, he eventually replaced Tony uh, Shaloub for the last little bit on Broadway, and he's been with us this whole time on tour. And this, nothing against Tony or anybody else who's played it, but if you want to see the person who this role was meant for, you know, come on out and see Sasson Gabay. It's hot dang. It's, I just got man. even more excited. Yep. Thank you again, Mark. My pleasure. I hope to see you soon. I hope Can't so. Can't wait to see you soon. Let's, and, let's come out of the closet uh, and hang out sometime. Right, exactly. <laughs> Until then, however, what should we give to our listeners? What, how should we end this? Let's see. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here we go. It. Okay, so in the scene, Avram says, Shal- Shalom Aleichem, right? Mm-hmm. And which means peace. Peace be with you. Peace be, yeah, peace be with you. Yeah. And then what does Simon say? He says, Aleichem Salam. And, and is that the same thing but in Arabic? Es- essentially, yes. That's fantastic. All right, yeah. that means you have to end the show with, with saying both of them. Oh, no, you say Shalom Aleichem, and I'll say Aleichem Okay, I'll Asalaam. say, okay, okay, yeah. perfect, perfect. All right, so, Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Asalaam. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.